I am not an innocent, not bystander. An innocent bystander. I am a threat, am a threat, to, my threat enemy. to my enemy. I am powerful I am and cunning. Powerful. I am strategic, I am strategic and, bold. and bold. I will not sit idly by. I will take ground. I will advance. I will tear through my enemy. And my enemy will hate me. I will not avoid the difficult fight. I will fight. I will be wounded. I will be targeted and I will bleed. I will not tire. My wounds will be healed. I will see tragedy. I will feel pain. But I will be restored. My feet will not stumble. My hands will hold fast. I will not be intimidated. Hey, we're on page 123, and that's really weird because that's in chronological order. A one and a two and a three, we're ready to go. You're almost getting there, that's right. And it's page 123, and we're talking about the evidences of the Christian faith, okay? And once again, it's a large title, so I'm going to shorten it for the sake of time. That's right. It's almost, I almost have to do it. Etc. Act is up there on the board live. That's right. Evidence is for the Christian faith. What are you? Whoa, Patrick, you mean to tell me that this is not a blind leap in the faith becoming a Christian? Wait a, wait a second. You mean to tell me that when we become a Christian, we don't check in our brain at the door? How many guys heard some of those things? Right? And I'm telling you, this is one of the things that I've uh, taught over the years, written books on, and things of that nature. It's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, because I remember as a non-Christian, the thing that would bug me big time is when I would come to a Christian and I would ask what I thought, and which frankly are even today, okay, don't take offense at it, they're great logical questions from people. Uh, Christians, by and large, could not give me an answer. I mean, at all. Okay, and it was very easy for me to chew them up and spit them out, so to speak. Uh, just, it, it's questions like, how do you know God even exists? Right? That's not an attacking question. That's a good question. You, I, I hope, I'm glad you're asking that. Okay, but they couldn't give an answer. Uh, how do you know that the Bible really did come from God? That sounds like a study we should do sometime. Hey, that's right, Tom, we did for six weeks. Thank you for, all right. Uh, you know, what? How, how do you know? I mean, I mean, why isn't it any different than any other religious book on the planet? How many of you guys heard that one? Well, there's great answers for that. Okay, hey, if God's so loving and wonderful, why is there so much evil and suffering? Okay, th th those are good questions, all right? The problem that used to really get me is when I would approach Christians with that, not that, hey, this is basic, you should know this one, this is easy, you're supposed to be a Christian, you're supposed to know God and all this stuff, and, okay, then tell me why he exists. This is what would get me. Well, you just gotta believe. Ugh. Can I tell you how the non-Christian translates that? At least that's how I used to. You are absolutely intellectually inept. That's being kind. Okay. Okay, that, seriously. You, ju you just checked your brain at the door. You wonder why people say this? It's just a blind leap in the faith. If you're going to become a Christian, you cannot be a person of intelligence. Right? This is not 
uh, what the Bible says to do. To open your Bible, it's 1 Peter chapter 3 to set the pace. The Bible says, please, 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 please. Not only the scripture, of course, says to study to show yourself approved so we can rightly divide the word of God, but we need to be able to give a defense, okay, uh, as the scripture says, uh, as Christians, okay? Great questions. We just need to know how to answer them. And the, the thing is, as you turn there, uh, the answers are there. You just got to do your homework. You got to care enough to do the homework. You got to care enough to, to uh, do your homework and learn to give a defense, okay? And not just care enough. Dare I say, the scripture says we need to, right? When God says, do not steal, do you think that's a serious thing? We, we probably should do that. When he says, don't murder, we, you know what? When he says, get out there and share the gospel of the Great Commission, is that a grand suggestion? No, that's not okay. And so when he says something like this, he says, get out there and give a defense for the hope. Do you think maybe we should, or is that an option? Isn't that funny how sometimes we act like the scripture is optional uh, for us, or certain things. Or we do, the, here's the game we play. Well, that's for that brother over there, because obviously he has the gift for that. But me, no, I'm just at the gift of osmosis. That if somebody sits next to me, that somehow Christianity will leach into their brain <laughs> as I smile and be a kind person to them. Don't think so. Okay, let's, I stole enough time. First uh, Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 15 says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, and always, how much, when, how long, how often? Always be what? Be prepared to give an answer or defense to everyone. How many people? Everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. All right? That, that, that's a command. Always. Everyone. Those are absolute statements. Okay? Uh, and, and I'm telling you, not just for your own benefits, like, wow, that was great. I've always wondered about that, how dinosaurs fit in the Bible. And there are answers to that. Hello. Great answers. Awesome answers. And once again, shocker, which agrees with the scripture. Okay. Uh, but it's also for the skeptic. Now let's continue on. This guy, he's going to start a story. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not or whatever in his own life or whatever. Uh, but he's going to start a story about an encounter of a Christian who is witnessing trying to witness anyway to a non-Christian. Now, as we go through this, I'm going to pick it apart on the non-Christian's response. And then I'm going to give you some logical defense as to why his statement is ludicrous. And if this guy had been trained, if this guy had done his homework, if this guy as a Christian had taken this verse seriously in somehow, some way, because the information's out there, and been able to give a defense, it wouldn't have turned out this way. Okay, so that's the premise. How far we get tonight, I have no idea. But I've given you the game plan. Here's what he says. He says, hey, have you ever thought about God? Please, somebody here tonight, please, somebody say yes. Yeah. Whew, praise God. Okay. Have you ever thought about God? Uh, well, Mark asked, uh, as Anthony set his lunch tray on the table and, and took a seat opposite to him. And Anthony's expression told Mark that it was going to be an unpleasant lunch hour. That's right. They're eating chicken, apparently. Uh, you're, <laughs> you knew that was coming. Uh, you're not on a religious trip, are you? Anthony answered. No, I, I just wondered if you ever thought about God. Well, the dining room was uh, filling up quickly, uh, he says there, and, and others were sitting near him, and Mark wished he hadn't asked the question, you know, why should I think about God, Anthony retorted, louder than necessary, and Mark thought, when has he ever even spared a thought about me? And, and two girls, uh-oh, uh, looked in their direction, and Mark felt his face start to turn red, and uh, he realized he had an allergic reaction to the chicken juice, and he was about ready to go to the hospital. No, all right, you're waking up, all right. Uh, his face turned red, and when he had tried to witness, why had he tried to witness to Anthony? He had known he would fail. Now no, stop right there. What kind of an attitude is that? Right? I'm not saying going in verbose like, I know every question that ever could be answered. <laughs> God will probably spank you and show you up if you got that attitude. Okay? But we need to go into the comment. Has anybody ever gone into a situation 
Where you literally apply the verse where it says that the, don't worry about what you're going to say, but the Spirit of God will give you the words when you need it, right? Have you ever done that? In fact, many times I had an instructor that drilled it in our heads. He said, uh, when somebody, anybody, you need to learn to uh, put your dependency upon God. As you study to show yourself approved, as you get equipped to give a defense for the hope that lies within you, okay, odds are we're going to forget some stuff, right? But it's in there somewhere. He says, but when somebody asks you a question, he would always say, in my mind, under my breath, because I'm not, you, you know, you say, you know, God, would you please bring back to remembrance? Would you please give me the answer? And this, how many times, is it, have you ever, if you've ever done that, have you ever done that? And, and the Holy Spirit just brings these stuff back to me. It's like, what? I, where'd that, I forgot I even knew that. And it's just whipping out, right? Okay, is what's going on there. And so, and so sometimes we need to go in, we need to study whatever, but we need to go in in faith that God's gonna use us as his witness. It's not by chance we're having this encounter and we're gonna trust that he is in fact gonna use us, again that phrase, in spite of us and put the correct words in our mouth. That's a much more positive attitude than, oh, I'm gonna fail, right? But I'm telling you, you're gonna dispel even not only dependency on the spirit of God to give you the right answer, but I'm telling you, if you take the time to study, that's why these uh, studies, this discipleship study is valuable. That's why these apologetic studies are so valuable because you're getting that inside of you, are getting equipped and you feel more confident, okay? Let's continue on. Uh, Anthony had picked up his fork, but he hadn't eaten anything yet. He was waiting in uh, mocking expense, uh, expect whatever for Mark's reply. <laughs> Mark swallowed and answered. Well, he died on the cross for your sins for one thing. Oh, well, that's right, the giggles and muffled laughter uh, from the two girls and two men, uh-oh, at their table, reached Mark's ears almost before he had finished his sentence, and Anthony took advantage of being in the majority. That's a joke. Jesus may have been a good man, uh-oh, uh, but he was certainly misguided. Look where it got him across. All right, now that's the first problem that I want to pick apart tonight, is he said when it came to Jesus, they always seemed to want to pick on Jesus, right? Okay, I've been there. Okay, and what did he relegate Jesus to? Just ordinary guy. Okay, but, but, but some of them will put him up, well, he was a good man. And then some might add maybe even a, one little bit more. He was, a, he was a good man yet, slash, he was a good teacher, right? Okay, but he was a good teacher, you know, but, but nothing really special, like, uh, you know, Muhammad or Buddha or the confused one, or Confucius and, and things of that nature, right? That's what they do. So, so right there, if this guy was equipped, he could say, whoa, whoa, wait a second, bud. Wait a second. Let's talk about that for a second. You said Jesus was a good man. That's, that's not, that there's more to it than meets the eye. All right? And let, let me give you some of that. We've talked about this before. Uh, one thing that the people will attack about Jesus, of course, is they'll say that he's just some average guy. Uh, no big deal. In fact, some people will go even so far. I don't know if you've heard of this, but they'll go even so far that they'll say that D Jesus didn't even exist. He was literally just a make, uh, make-believe character. Okay, and, uh, but anyway, but when you take a look at the evidence, uh, Jesus actually has more evidence for his uh, uh, existence uh, than I think pretty much any figure in history, uh, period. Okay, let me give you some examples, okay? Because the premise would be something like this. Well, really, so, so Jesus didn't exist, huh? All right, uh, well, if he did exist, then logically, because what they'll say was, well, if, if it's all, the only time you ever see Jesus is in the Bible, right? Well, that's a lie, all right? And they'll say it's circular reasoning. Well, you just say he exists because it's in here. Mm, that's not true. And so let's put it to the test logically. If Jesus really existed, then you would think that somewhere at some time, somebody would have mentioned him somewhere outside of scripture, right? Well, they did. A whole bunch of them. Let me give you a couple of them. Uh, the Roman historian Tacitus, he said, uh, uh, Nero fastened the, the guilt on a class of hated for their abominations called Christians uh, by the populace. Christus, 
Latin for Christ, uh, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. That's an actual Roman document mentioning Jesus and the uh, birth of Christianity. Pliny the Younger, he was a Roman governor in Asia Minor in AD 112. He, he, said, uh, he said, speaking about Christians, he said, they were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God and bound themselves by solemn oath not to uh, do any wicked deeds but, and never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, uh, never eat chicken, nor deny... You're starting to wake up. This is good. Uh, nor deny trust uh, when they were called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate, listen, and then reassemble to partake of food, the birthplace of the potluck. Right there, 112 AD, Pliny the Younger. Okay, I think it is. Uh, Josephus, he's another guy. He's a first century Jewish historian. He said, this is what he wrote. These are actual secular documents recording Jesus outside the Bible. He said, about this time there lived a man, uh, Jesus, there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, he says. He says, uh, for he wrought su uh, surprising feats. He was the Christ. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared, restored to life, and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared even to this day. The Babylonian Talmud, this is a collection of Jewish rabbinical writings, about 70 AD, right around when the temple was destroyed by the Romans, says this, on the eve of Passover, Yeshu, Yeshu is Yeshua, Hebrew for Joshua, Jesus, okay, was hanged. Now, hang back then they was also a synonym, a synonym uh, or cinnamon rolls. Are you hungry tonight yet? Uh, synonym uh, for crucifixion, okay? So he was crucified. For 40 days before the execution took place, a herald cried, he is going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. Okay? Which is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's probably one of the most, I had another conversation on that this last week. Uh, one of the most abused texts. It, uh, it, it's amazing. People say, oh, you're going to commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. As if it's some, it's, whoa, 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 whoa. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? As defined by the text there, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is accusing Jesus when he was literally on earth physically doing an actual physical miracle before your actual physical eyes that you were physically there present with him, physically accusing him of doing that physical miracle uh, under the power of Satan instead of the Spirit of God. Hence the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, is it possible for you and I, when Jesus is not here physically in front of us, doing actual physical miracles, uh, for us to physically accuse him of doing something in the power of Satan instead of the Holy Spirit? So we can't commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Maybe in the millennial kingdom when he comes back, literally, I'll maybe give you that one for argument, okay? Uh, but he's not here. He's at the right hand of the Father. So how can we ever commit it? Plus, it's a straw man argument. Even if he was here physically, what Christian's going to say, oh, sorry, Jesus, thanks for healing that person, but you did that in the power of Satan. It's ridiculous. One of the most abused texts out there. It's crazy. But anyway, so that's what, but, but, but the, the, that text is brought up because that was the Jewish attitude. And they even record that in their secular writings. Sorcery. Yeah, he, we, we can't deny he's doing these things, but he's doing this by sorcery, by, by Satan. Jesus, <laughs> that one ain't forgiven, buddy. You're in a heap of trouble. Uh, but anyway, let's continue. Uh, another guy, Lucian, uh, he was the second uh, century Greek uh, satirist. He said, the Christians worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. It was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from a moment that they are converted 
and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. A couple more. Suetonius, he's a Roman uh, historian, 69 AD, 140. He said this about the Christian persecution by Nero uh, in AD 64. He says, he banished from Rome all the Jews who were continually making disturbances at the instigation of one Crestus. Okay, punishment was inflicted on the Christians, a class of men given to a new and mischievous superstition. Uh, Thallus, he's another uh, historian who lived at the middle of the first century, around 50 AD. Listen to this. This guy in a secular document outside the Bible actually recorded for us uh, the, the darkness that fell at the crucifixion. He wrote this in a letter uh, by Julius Africanus, and he says, quote, on the whole world, there pressed a most fearful darkness, and the rocks were rent by an earthquake, and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. Isn't that wild? Not just Jesus, but even at his resurrection, when the scripture mentions that dark, you think, well, gee whiz, if darkness uh, passed over the whole land there uh, during the time he's being crucified, somebody would have wrote about it, it would have made the news somewhere, it did. But you're going to scoff at that? And then listen to this. There are at least 42 different authors that mention Jesus within 150 years of his life, of his first incarnation. Now, contrast this to the only 10 authors that mention Tiberius Caesar within 150 years of his life, who, by the way, was the Roman emperor during Jesus' ministry, and nobody questions him. Right? So, so you're going to question Jesus and his authenticity historically, Okay, who has 42 authors, but you don't question the guy, don't even think about it twice, who only has 10. Now, when that guy brought that question up, what, what did he say there? He said, oh, Jesus, you know, he, he's just a good man. He's misguided. Maybe he doesn't even exist. What, do you think maybe that would have come in handy? Even just a couple, even just that last point? Just to drop a little thought in that guy's brain? Get him to think a little bit? Learn to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. The second thing, we've talked about this before, I'll just uh, uh, glaze over this. Um, but uh, many people, again, they want to, they if they don't say that Jesus didn't flat out exist, they'll say he was a good man or a good teacher. Now again, he didn't leave us with that option. Uh, if you've ever read Josh McDowell's More Than Carpenter, it's a small book, great uh, book worth reading, and that's the premise that he brings. He says, logically, when you look at the Gospels, Jesus did not leave us with that option, that he was just a good teacher. And if you look at the scripture, he was either uh, Lord, indeed Lord God, or he was some sort of a liar, or he was just a flat-out lunatic. And when you look at the, the bottom two options, that's not consistent with what we see in the scripture. Uh, so the only other logical option, he was indeed who he said he was, Lord God. Okay, but just to meet the skeptic on their terms, uh, let's take a look at, is Jesus really unique? Because again, they'll say, well, he's just like all the other guys, all the other religious figures, and the new term, the new age term, whatever, avatars, you know, all that stuff. He's just one of those guys, right? Who came to the planet to help us to evolve into a higher thing, blah, 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 right? And that you could become the Christ consciousness, right? Matthew 24 actually says that, become the Christ, watch out for the Christ. Okay, anyway, so that's, we've dealt with that in the final countdown. But let's take a look at some things of Jesus. You tell me if he's a little bit different than the other guys. First of all, we see in the scripture that Jesus, Jesus did uh, these nifty little things called uh, miracles. And he did just a couple of them. I'll read just a couple of them to you. Uh, he converted water into wine. He heals the nobleman's son, has an amazing catch of fish. He heals the demoniac. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. Now that could also be an act of love. 
Okay. Uh, he cleanses the leper. He heals the paralyzed man. Uh, he healed the immobile man uh, is what he's there. He restored a withered hand. Uh, he restores the centurion servant. He raises the widow's son to life. He steals the storm. He throws demons out of two guys. He raises the daughter of Jairus from the dead. He cures the woman with the issue of blood. He restores two men uh, that were blind back to sight. He walks upon Lake Galilee. He heals the daughter of a Syrophoenician woman. He feeds more than 4,000 people later than uh, 5,000 people. He restores the deaf mute man. He restores a blind man. He heals an epileptic boy. He pays the temple tax by getting money from a fish's mouth. How many of you guys want to do that next tax day? The day before. I'm going to Lake Mead, pay my taxes. Right? <laughs> he really did it. He restores 10 lepers to wholeness. He opens the eyes of a man born blind. He raises Lazarus from the dead. He heals the woman with the spirit of infirmity. He cures man with dropsy. He restores sight to two blind guys near Jericho. He condemns the fig tree. He heals the ear of Malchus. If you're familiar with that, when they came to take Jesus, uh, Peter chops the guy's ear off. It falls on the ground. Jesus picks it up, pops it on his head. He's good to go. It's not just healed, but all inferences is it's working perfectly fine. <laughs> but when we have illnesses and we have troubles, I just really hope that God can maybe come through, maybe possibly. Wow. And of course, he has an amazing second catch of fish. And I know Jordan and Mike are asking, and probably Arthur, um, what was he using for bait? No, it was a miracle. You know what I'm saying? He didn't need that. Chicken, no, don't even start. Now let's go back up here where it says he throws demons out of two men. So let's surround, no. And uh, uh, anyway, so, but uh, okay, did those other guys do that stuff? So how in the world can you say, oh, they're all the same. They're all just, Jesus, nothing special about him. Those guys, you know, excuse me? The scripture also says that Jesus, of course, and, and again, we dealt with this before, so I'm just gonna hit the highlights. Uh, scripture says that Jesus was God, clearly, only God can forgive sins. He did that and he just flat out said he was God. And that's why one of the reasons why the Jewish people want to kill him. Uh, the scripture is very clear that Jesus is also the one responsible for creation. Colossians chapter 1. Right? So did uh, Buddha, Muhammad, and the great confused one, they do any of those things? Are they, they God? Uh, did they create the planets? Did they uphold and sustain the universe? So how in the world could you logically say and denigrate Jesus and just say he was just a good man? If you See, that's the problem. Most people who make attacks on the Bible, I used to be one, the, the reality is they never even crack open the Bible. And what you're going to see when it comes to apologetics, and see, that's, this is why it really bugs me when it says, he, he, just, he just knew he would fail. You don't even understand your audience, I, I would say. Because most people, non-Christians, only parrot what the media and the secular education has told them to think, including about Christianity. And it's bankrupt. They don't even read the Bible. They make all these claims and then we are, oh, it's just, if you understand even a basic things, it's so easy to dispel these things if we would take the time to get uh, equipped. One guy says this, he says, people often, often ask what was so unique about Jesus. He says, I mean, he possessed no certificates or degrees. He never traveled farther than 150 miles from where he was born. He lived and moved among common people and he was not an author. He wrote no books. He composed no poems. He compiled no documents. The only sentence he wrote was a line, a single line in the sand, which disappeared the same day. He never used a fountain pen or even a typewriter, or even the Microsoft Word. We have no line or syllable from his hand. And yet, do you realize that more books have, ever, have been written about him and his words than any other man in history? Uh, do you realize that he affected the lives of more people than all the authors of all the ages put together and that the story of his life has now been translated into 2,500 different languages and is read every year by billions of people? 
No one ever spoke like Jesus. His discourse had become the theme of millions of addresses. His words are simple and clear. In fact, today, his sayings are hammered into polished marble, chiseled into imperishable granite, wrought into enduring bronze, fashioned onto stained glass windows. His words are literary gems. He stands today unequaled over all of literature. He was not a poet, and yet he has inspired thousands of poets. Uh, he was not an artist, a sculptor, or a painter, and yet he was the inspiration for all kinds of famous painters. He was not a doctor, and yet he healed the sick. He opened blind eyes. He unstopped deaf ears. He even raised the dead. He was not a statesman. He never held or aspired to a position, but he founded a kingdom and he became the conqueror of the world. And in just three short years of Christ's ministry here on earth, it has done more to regenerate mankind than any other influence that has ever been felt in the history of mankind. And that's why it remains true to this day that no single word grips the hearts of men like the name of Jesus Christ. There is just something about that name. You cannot say that he was just a man. If you ever even have a cursory reading of the scripture, if you look at the historical documentation, if you're honest with yourself. And again, I'm telling you guys, just some basic understandings of what we're supposed to do in the scripture, give a defense for the hope that lies within us. It's very easy to dispel, okay? And it's not an argumentative thing. It's an informing thing. Because did you know that a lot of skeptics, like I used to be one again, we do want to know. I don't know. I, uh, praise God that he had mercy. I mean, I got saved at least when I was 25. Sure beats 26 or 45. Okay. But oftentimes it's like, maybe I could have got saved a little bit earlier and ha had at least a couple years less of absolute, utter nightmare pain. If somebody would have even challenged me with a thought. I remember back, I was so steeped in lies with new age and relativism, Right? that there is no absolute truth, which is ridiculous because the moment you say there is no absolute truth, you just made an absolute statement. Okay? But nobody ever pointed that out. Nobody ever pointed that out. Okay? And uh, uh, it, I was so convinced of that that you're the one who makes up truth as you go. But uh, uh, nobody ever came up to me and this would be a, a great, if somebody ever says that to you, you've got to do this. We've talked about this before. Go up and say, oh, really? So there, there is no absolute truth. And you just make up truth as you go. Absolutely. Okay, uh, well, uh, can, you, can you give me your wallet, please? Okay, and hopefully they got something valuable in it. And so you open it, and moths go, fee, 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 you know. But anyway, so hopefully there's something valuable in it. And, uh, and so you literally go, oh, thank you. And literally, you have to do this, not in conjecture, not act like you're doing it, but literally turn around, walk, and leave the room, leave the facility. Seriously. And of course, at some point, they're going to realize that you're not joking because you're not coming back. And they're either going to yell at you and or run at you yelling at you. Hey, come on. Give me back my... Well, and at that point, then you drop the new thought in their brain, logically. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. Now, you just told me that there are no absolutes. And you're absolutely sure about that. Okay? And that truth is whatever is right for you and whatever is right for me. In my world, I have determined that this is perfectly fine. This is my wallet now. <laughs> right? Now, what's the person going to begin to fight for? That's not yours. That's not right. Well, wait a second. You just told me. You see what I'm saying? And see, nobody ever takes the time to challenge. And if we would know just some basic facts, we can just, in love, and sometimes even in humor, equip them a new, a new thought. And how do you know that that isn't the very thing? This is why so many years I have preached uh, repeatedly, did a six-year study on evolution. 
I still to this day don't think the church realizes how much that undermines the, from first page, first verse, first page on uh, the, the, everything we believe in. And yet people never talk about it. It's crazy. It, it's, it's a huge stumbling block. I'll tell you who it's really uh, kicking, and that's the teenagers, even in, and I would say even at Sunrise, any teenager, because they're on the front lines. Young college students. The statistic, the last one that I came across is um, 82% of kids grown, I'm not saying they're Christians necessarily, but they've grown up in Christian homes. 82% of them walk away from the Christian faith by their first year in secular college. 82%. Something's going wrong there. We're not given a defense at all. There's great answers, logical answers, biblical answers, dare I say scientific answers that prove creation and prove evolution is totally bankrupt and a lie. Why aren't we equipping ourselves, our children with that? We're just going to chuck them to the wolves? It's crazy. But just a basic understanding uh, you can come to that. Let's continue on uh, with the study. So, so that was just dealing with that aspect, that, that Jesus is just a good man. And he was misguided. I mean, look where he got him across. His crazy disciples cooked up that story of his dying for the sins so that they could justify having followed him. Whoa, whoa. I actually, in secular college, I had uh, philosophy for two semesters back to back, ethics and then morals. And uh, that's exactly what the, the teacher did. He resisted. A lot of students, they, uh, in, it's, it's crazy. Secular philosophy, they always want to rap on Jesus in a negative sense. Really, that's all you got to do. You just, you just want to use this mindy class where you're supposed to be thinking logically. And you always want to pick on Jesus. I didn't hear anybody, well, what about Buddha? Well, about, what about the Hindu Veda? How do we know it's accurate? You know, oh, oh, by the way, how do we know that the writings of Aristotle and uh, other guys, uh, Plato, uh, are accurate. That's my son's favorite philosopher, Plato. Yeah, I'm, you're working with me. Hey, it's a small crowd. You got to work it up. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, so, uh, no, thank you, Mike. You're, oh, they're covered. Anyway, um, but uh, uh, how do we know? Well, uh, they didn't ask about that, but they always wanted to rep on Jesus. And finally, it was after about halfway into the semester, he, there was one Christian girl in there. I remember this as a non-Christian, and she was fuming. And there was just, it was a class that turned into pick on Christians and pick on Christianity. And he basically, the students were, were egging him on. He finally cracked. And they said, well, give us your opinion, teacher, Mr. Wise philosopher, teacher guy, you know, on Jesus. And that was what he had said. He says, well, he believes that Jesus was just a regular guy, okay? And that this whole thing about the resurrection is not real because that can't happen. We all know miracles aren't true, blah, blah, blah. And that he really did die. And he, he had the, was called the, uh, uh, the, one of the theories that they stole the body. Okay, they stole Jesus' body and uh, so that it looked like something miraculous happened and they just made the whole thing up because they had this good religion thing going and, uh, but they couldn't have their leader die so they got to keep it going in myth form so that they can continue to grow this religion and get people's cash. It's a very common attitude today. Okay, but that's what he's talking about. He says, you know, uh, they cooked it up, just, you know, uh, uh, dying for sin so they could justify having fallen. Now, before Mark could respond, Anthony continued... He says, well, Mark, how, how could you believe in a God? I'm really disappointed in you. I, I really didn't expect that you would throw out your, throw, what? Throw out your what? If you believe in God, you throw out your logic? There's that phrase, throw your brain at the door. Somehow, if you're a Christian, you're intellectually now. Dare I say, can I tell you something? We don't help them turn away from that opinion. We actually feed that opinion because we are not equipped to even answer, how do you even know God exists? Right? And, and he says there, it's just, it's, it's, it's uh, illogical. It's an old wives' tale. How could you, how, how could a thinking person believe in religion? Right? 
I've shared with you before my testimony, before I was saved, when my sister Terry, she was the only Christian uh, for many years, and she used to witness to me and send me letters and quote John 3.16, talk about the blood of Jesus and all that stuff. And in total mockery, I'd write back a new age saying, and I, in mockery, I'd make up like Herman 5.18 and come just total blasphemy and things of that nature. And uh, she, would, she would just constantly talk about it. But when I found out, when I found out that my sister became a Christian, I said before, I literally, guys, I kid you not, in my demonic state, I literally got sickened to my stomach. I was ashamed of my sister. Because I was like, you're a crone. You were, you, you're much more intellectually smarter than that. How could you let those dummies brainwash you? Those people are, it's, come on. I was so mad at her. I was ash almost ashamed to call her my sister now. Because it's like, I, you're, oh, I, I know you're, you're from our heritage. Crones don't have that low of an IQ. I, and I was really sick into my stomach. Okay. But again, what if somebody came up to you and always tried to denigrate Jesus? I was just a good man, just a good teacher. Do you have something to say? Anything? But I'm telling you, this is a great question. This is, I, I, this should, you should go, yeah. At least he said, how do you know God exists? But here's the problem. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, there's a historical thing uh, with that. But so let me give you very quickly, hopefully, that's right, the four classical arguments for the existence of God. Okay, and uh, tonight, that's right, we're going to do with the argument of beam. Now, that's not jelly bean, uh, and that's not lima bean. That's being, okay? And this is uh, where you see in Exodus, uh, basically, just to give you a uh, vernacular, uh, chapter 3. And when Moses, and he's kind of, God's calling him out, right? Uh, just to get you the context there. And uh, God's calling him out, and he's like, hey, man, these guys ain't going to believe me. All of a sudden, I say, hey, guys, I saw God. And he's, uh, he's going, I'm, I'm here to rescue you. Woo he says, hey, how are they going to believe me? Who are you? And what's God say? He says, I am. Tell them, I am that I am. Okay, now believe it or not, this is what's called uh, the argument of being, okay? God doesn't prove his existence. He just says, I am, okay? I just am, okay? And, uh, and that's, that's, that's the logic. And the logic from that basically goes down to this, uh, uh, that it, the fact that anyone even considers that a supreme being exists, and we do, is in a way logically admitting that there must be a God in the first place. Why? Because logically, if there wasn't a God, why would we even conceive of him, Right? And then if you continue even further, why is it that we see this proof in every culture of the whole planet, right? If God didn't exist, then why is it that in, I don't care what culture it is, I'm not saying they got the right God, the one and only God, but why is it that every single culture on the planet has this innate desire to worship something higher or above themselves? Every planet, does, every uh, culture on the planet, doesn't matter. Where'd that come from? Okay, yeah, every planet, yes, and planet Kolov and the Mormons. No, they got it wrong one. We'll get to that maybe next week in that study. Uh, but anyway, uh, as, well, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3, He, God, has made everything beautiful in His time. He's also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And so the Bible says that God put eternity in the hearts of mankind. We're created in His image, not just morally, but also spiritually Okay, which that's why we have an eternal nature, which is why when we die, we don't cease to be. We go eternally to heaven or eternally to hell. Okay, which is a whole other argument people want to deny. Okay, but God put that in our hearts first so that we would acknowledge that he exists and hopefully to seek him out and to find him and receive him by faith. But that's what's called the argument of being. Okay, if God exists, why do we even conceive of him? Uh, we conceive of him so he must exist and that's what you see 
everybody wants to worship something above themselves. The second one is called the argument of beginnings. Okay? And uh, this one's pretty obvious. This is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, the very first verse of the Bible is an argument for the existence of God. In the beginning, God, who? God, created the heavens and the earth. Now, in the original Hebrew, you can break it down a little bit more, uh, even scientifically. At the beginning of time, God created nothing from the heavens, which is space, and the earth, which is matter. Time, space, matter. Okay, that's, uh, that's our continuum there. Okay, and so what we see is that logically, wait a second, if something has a beginning, then logically, there must be an ultimate beginner, right? And, and, and that's pretty, pretty obvious, okay? And the reason why is because if ever there was a time when there was truly nothing, what would we have today? Nothing, nothing right? See, that's the problem with evolution. We'll get to that in a second, okay? And, and it's easy to demonstrate this logic, okay? How many guys tonight have had a birthday? Please, everybody raise your hand because if you don't, I'm really scared because you're over one, okay? Right, okay. Now, believe it or not, you could use that as an example to prove the existence of God. Why? Because the very fact that you celebrate a birthday, what are you celebrating? The birth, the beginning point that you came out from that cabbage leaf because we know that, huh? And that's why Pastor Billy's so short. There was a drought that year. It was a dry year when they plucked him. He didn't grow much there, Captain. No, no, that, you didn't come from a cabbage leaf. You didn't just pop out in this spontaneous existence. That's what happened, bah. right? No, you celebrate your beginning because you came from beginners, i.e. mom and dad. You came from something, right? Why? Because if there ever there was a time there was nothing, today there would be nothing. So there has to be something, all right? And, and again, uh, this is what makes evolution illogical because they would say, well, okay, at the very beginning, okay, uh, they, they've actually gotten even worse than this. At, at first, they used to say the universe started from a big old giant mass. I mean, it was like, I forget how many thousands of miles across. And then as the years progressed, it got smaller, 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 into literally what they call, let's even, let's even go a step further, into what the, is called the inf, uh, an infinitesimal dot. That the whole universe, they said, was, was started out with a dot, a little teeny tiny ball of dirt, and exploded. It's a violent piece of dirt, apparently. Very mad, upset. Maybe it was traffic. I don't know what it was. Okay. And, uh, but, uh, uh, but anyway, so the point, but wait a second. Okay, that's fine if you want to believe that. But let's apply some logic to this. Um, where'd the dirt come from? And why is that logical? Because dirt doesn't just appear. It's something. So if it's something, it had to come from somewhere. Now, believe it or not, in some textbooks today, I kid you not, this is actually, you wonder where kids are turning out the way they are, unfortunately, with all due respect. Uh, they actually say the universe came from, because the, you know what they call this? They call this the X factor, right? Which means we have no uh, fancy, smashy way. We have no idea. So we put a scientific term on it, okay? You can call it an anomaly. You can call it whatever you want, but that doesn't explain it, okay? But the, now they know that, 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 that it used to be huge, and then it went down to a tiny piece of dirt that blew up, but they, they can't escape the logical conclusion of how ludicrous that is. So you know what they actually print in textbooks today? I'm not making this up. Check it out, guys. The universe started from nothing. So we're all here because nothing exploded. What? How, if ever there was a time there was nothing, we would have nothing. Right. And that's why we're here. It's, that's actually what they're teaching. Okay? In school. Now, our answer is, I would agree at one point there was nothing as far as in creation, but it came from somewhere, from someone, from God. God is the reason 
for existence. Why? Because logically, if ever there was a beginning, and we know even scientifically there was a beginning, even the evolutions admit there's a beginning, they just don't want to deal with the logic that then that implies a beginner. Uh, the next one is that it's called the argument, very quickly, is the argument of morals. Okay, and this is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 2. And when he's kind of in the context, of, you know, say, hey, listen, just because you're a Jew and you got the law, uh, don't think you're high and mighty. By the way, your behavior is blaspheming God because you don't even obey the law that you got written down for you. He says, but oh, by the way, even the Gentiles who don't have the law, they inherently obey the law. Okay, they have a law unto themselves, their consciences, and it convicts them right and wrong and things of that nature. He talks in Romans chapter 2. And so then the point with that uh, uh, argument is this, is that, well, wait a second. If they're, uh, where did this ability to have this innate uh, desire for right and wrong come from? Again, any culture on the planet, everybody knows inherently from we high, it's wrong to murder. Now, over time, you can grow up and rationalize it and become callous to it. But inherently early on, you know it's wrong to murder. You know it's wrong to lie. You know it's wrong to steal. Where did that come from? If evolution is true, where did morals come from? And, and not just morals, these are universal morals. Where did they come from? Well, logically, universal morals come from a universal moral lawgiver. They come from God. And God didn't just give us morals to show us that he really does exist. He also gave mankind certain personal attributes. Okay, now stop and think about this, which again, the evolutionist has a hard way of, of explaining. Okay, if God isn't real, then where, when, and why, and how did man evolve feelings? Why would we even care about anything if the strongest, the fittest survive? Uh, where did the ability to experience guilt or show love and mercy come from? Right? Uh, where did man's ability to think abstractly or appreciate beauty come from? And if man is no different than the animals, then why can't they do the same thing we do? Why don't we see peacocks painting portraits like Picasso? Why don't we see cats constructing massive skyscrapers? You know, to help with the homeless and things, you know. Why don't we see dogs becoming doctors to help the dying? Okay, and hello, if we suppose they came from apes, why do we still got apes? <laughs> and if we suppose they came from them, why don't we see them do it today? Nothing, you don't see it. Why? Because uh, we came from God. We were created in his image, morally and spiritually, and he gave man certain attributes. Now, the last one I want to deal with, of course, and that's the classic one. I dealt with the 10 studies on this before. And just quickly, I hit some highlights, and that's the argument of design. Okay, and that's what we've talked about before. And the argument of design is Romans chapter 1, and that's where Paul says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, well, how? Well, God's made a plane to them. Well, how do you do that? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, creation, so that men are without excuse. Nobody's going to get to heaven and say, God, I just didn't have enough existence, uh, proof of your existence. Uh, excuse me, did, did you look around? Okay, it's an argument of design. If you see design in something, it implies a designer, right? I'll use the same analogy. Tonight I was coming over here uh, to the study, Tom. It was absolutely amazing. And in that field over there, okay, I saw something glimmering and caught my eye and the sun was shining on this, this object and it was this watch. And Tom, you won't believe it. That watch evolved over the last, I, I don't know, three, I don't know exactly, but it had to be about three to four million years over uh, all the wind and the rain and the erosion, the dirt, and I'm sure a couple of lightning bolts later, and boom, wow, this watch evolved by chance. I got it tonight. I didn't have to buy it. You talk about being a good, wise steward. Now, if I really did believe that, I mean, I mean if I was really serious about that tonight, no joking aside, what would you guys do? Bill Wimberly, chairman of the deacons, 
we need to talk about our pastor. Can we have a special congregational meeting? Yes. Maybe he should go on vacation earlier. He's getting too burnt out. You know, <laughs> somebody fed him chicken and his brain is shut down after all. And uh, said, what? Now, our bodies with 50 trillion cells, approximately, I don't know who actually counted them all. Might have been a government project, but we won't go there. Uh, but anyway, you think that did? And this watch with maybe 12 moving parts, that's ludicrous? You gotta have more faith to believe that. Let me give you some other examples. The force of gravity. Uh, if the force of gravity was 1% higher, the sun would be much bigger and life on earth would cook. If the force of gravity was 1% less, the sun would be too small and we would freeze. It's exactly perfect. Nuclear force. If there was a slight increase uh, in nuclear force, the chemicals of life, oxygen, hydrogen, carbon would be almost non-existence. A slight decrease, the only element in the universe would be hydrogen. You could not have life. Expansion rate of the universe. Uh, if it were a few percent slower, all the matter of the universe would collapse into, the ball, into a ball. I, that would seriously ruin uh, our day. Um, and if it was slightly faster, then all the galaxies and stars would never have formed. Okay, and couldn't hold together, no life. A distance between the stars. It's almost like they're popped up. They're exactly where they need to be. Well, they are. Uh, if the distance between the stars was just a few percent closer or further away, it would destabilize the planetary orbits around the sun and the earth and would not be capable of supporting life. Gravity, even gravity on earth, if there was a slight increase in the earth's gravity, the atmosphere would contain uh, too much ammonia and methane, which are toxic to life. If there was a decrease in our gravity, the atmosphere would lose too much water. You couldn't have life. Here's a common sense one. Uh, the earth's the distance from the sun. Uh, if, if we were just a few percent farther away from the sun, we would freeze. Uh, if we were too closer, we would boil. The rotation time of the earth is exactly right. If it increased a few percent, the temperature differences would be too great to support life. It was a little bit slower. The atmospheric wind velocities would, be, would wipe out all of life. You literally would fly off the earth. Okay. It'd be kind of fun for the first 100 feet. But after that, you're in trouble. The size of the moon, not just the distance of the moon, but the size of the moon is a whole other thing. If the moon were slightly smaller then the tides and winds would be too small and the earth would overheat. If the moon was slightly bigger, this would uh, result in ferocious winds and massive tides that would flood the earth twice a day. And Jordan, it's been scientifically proven that you can only comfortably drown once a day. <laughs> I know, I know. So it, it's almost like everything was popped up into existence exactly like some sort of design was going on in order for us to even be here tonight. Okay, just a couple more, just with the human body and then we'll quit. Uh, did you know the kidneys contain approximately 280 miles of tubes and filter 185 quarts of water a day from the blood? And we all, I'm some serious plumbing, and we all know that the plumbing from our houses uh, evolved by chance over millions of years. And then we just built wood around it. Uh, the heart, hey, uh, pumps 5,000 gallons of blood a day. It beats approximately 108, uh, 100,800 times a day or 2,500,000,000 times in an average lifetime. How would you like to have an engine, Orson, that functioned that well in a vehicle? And we all, you and I both know, we've talked about this, I'm sure, many a times, that engines evolved over millions of years and that we just have to dig them up in the dirt and find them and <laughs> implant them in a car. Yeah, no, no, they're made by engineers. Uh, 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 the eye has automatic aim, focus, aperture, adjustment. It provides color in 3D images, can function in darkness to bright light, and makes 100,000 motions in a day. But we all know that camera there, which is less complex than the human eye, evolved over millions and billions of years with sticks and wind and rain. And don't forget exfoliation and the way the rocks cracked. And it's 
crazy. Uh, the body makes 2 uh, to 10 million blood cells every second. And if you lined up your red blood cells end to end, they would go around the equator of the earth four times. The lining of the digestive tract turns over about every two days. Faster if you eat spicy Mexican food, is in my notes. Okay. The lining of your skin, remember this one? Uh, turns over about every two to four weeks. Yes, there is a reason why you need to wash your sheets. Uh, listen, we shed an average of about 40 pounds of skin in a lifetime. That's my diet plan. Forget all the other stuff. Live long enough, I lost 40 pounds. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. And this is also why whatever you do, my daughter actually did this the other day, and I'm not joking, a, a, a flume of something came up. She hit the pews here. Don't do that. Because according to this, that's the skin cells from Jeekin Jones from 1960. He's still there. 40 pounds of dead skin. Uh, there's enough DNA in the human uh, single cell to fill an encyclopedia uh, volume. And just as the words and letters in an encyclopedia volume are arranged in an intelligent pattern, uh, DNA in a cell is perfectly formatted, constructed in an intelligent pattern. Uh, our sophisticated computers are no match for the human brain. The brain stores so much memory data that by the age of 40, it would take the Empire State Building full of computers just to store the same amount of information. Some less than others, but we won't go there. Uh, but that's pretty obvious. Anyway, so you see all these design characteristics. This is all designed. This is not by chance. It's impossible. You won't believe that this happened by chance and that you would literally uh, ask for your pastor to go on early vacation and stop feeding him chicken and call the head deacon to get him out of the pulpit for a watch with 12 parts. But all of that, and that's the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. You're going to say did? And you're going to teach that to kids? And you're actually going to have whole television channels promoting it on TV? Vain reasoning of men, philosophies. And the Bible says in the last days, scoffers would come willingly ignorant, which means dumb on purpose. You will come up with a lie just to continue to follow your evil desires. You don't want there to be God. There is so much stinking evidence for the existence of God. How dare you say, I like God, I have... You knew there was, you turned a blind eye. I'll close this, Jay Jastrow, he's a NASA scientist. He says this, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. He pulls himself over the final rock. He is greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. Logic, Where'd you, how'd you get there? Logic, use the brain that God made and did not evolve. Okay, but again, just even a few of those facts, even just the human body, maybe just a few of those facts about how delicate the universe and space and everything is popped in, out there. Don't you think that would have come in handy for this guy? I mean, when he comes back and makes this audacious statement, he said, he, and, 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 and literally looks down on the guy like I used to with my sister, like, Ugh, how could you believe in this old wives' tale? Look at that, what, what, how could you believe in a guy? I'm disappointed in you. Excuse me, I'm shocked by you. That you believe that all of life came from a rock. Because that's what they believe. In the beginning, a piece of dirt, which they can't explain, they just call the X factor, blew up. And over millions and billions of years, somehow the earth formed. But it was a hot, rocky, molten crust. And it rained on the rocks for millions of years and created this primordial ooze and pow, here we are. What? I, let, me, let me turn that around. You, you, I, I'm disappointed in you. How could you say that? But don't you think that'd be some valuable information? 
Why did this guy start out with this? And he was just, I, you know, my, I, I just knew I would fail. Even just some cursory studies like this, there's no reason. Uh, we should be excited we should, with bated breath. We could even become an art and science to steer the conversation in this direction. Like, oh, please just say anything about evolution. Something, just anything. Is there a magazine here that says evolution? I could pull it over here and make them look at it. Because any, anything, really? It's got, I'll bring him a kid's little toy dinosaur just a little talk about it so I can bring it up because I'm going to, oh. Or do we even go that far? I, I, this is, we, we have to do this, especially in our skeptical society. And guys, we've moved beyond skepticism. We have, we have graduated uh, into what's called an anti-Christian society. Have you noticed that with our Supreme Court lately? And we better wake up. If we have any hopes of, of making a difference, making a dent, we better be able to give a defense for the hope that lies within us. Because right now, the media, the educational system has done a fantastic job of making us Christians look like a bunch of goobers, dangerous goobers, intellectually uh, inept idiots who are dangerous to society and who are religious bigots and who don't even know what in the world they believe. But when we come back with something like this, ah, it's a great thing. In close, I'll just share, again, we've talked about this before, three things that historians say, here's why the early church overtook the Roman culture. Okay? Number one is how they loved each other. It was mind-blowing. You could not find that in society. I mean, these are people different ages, different walks of life, different ethnic groups. I mean, it's just, and, and they loved each other. I mean, they, they shared their possessions. They did, they did anything. They ripped the shirt off their backs. They, they loved each other, number one. Number two was how they died. These people were singing praises unto their God. These people were with tears of joy meeting their horrible death being torn alive by wild animals, crucified, burned alive, tar put upon them and lit on fire. Singing praises to God. Going home to glory. Looking forward to that. And asking in the midst of it, just like Jesus did on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We seem to forget the third amazing one. The third amazing one, the major impact on the Roman culture, just like our society today, was they were able to give an intellectual response for their faith. Some of the greatest apologists uh, were born in that. And that doesn't mean, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian, I'm sorry. It means to give a defense of and they used the brain that God gave them and showed that Christianity doesn't mean you're checking your brain at the door. It's not a blind leap in the, in, in, the, in the dark. We can defend our faith. God says, come let us reason together. Please become a Christian. You need to use your brain, okay? Uh, and as we do that, I think we'll get a different response from our culture, amen? All right, hey, Lord will next week, we got a lot more to cover and we'll deal with that then. But let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. 
He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. E for instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. 
God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.